All right, Ephesians chapter 1, let me read the first few verses over there. I want to go till about, let's say, verse 6. Let's attempt till verse 6 or 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you, to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in heavenly, bless, in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Capital O one. In him, in him, that one, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. What an incredible passage of scripture. If your mind was not able to track it, while I was reading, it was not able to track it, you're, you're okay, you're normal. Because it's a very complicated Greek sentence. And it's the longest Greek sentence. It goes from verse 3 to verse 14. One long sentence. You know how sometimes our mother-in-law talks or something like that. It's just, it's just you don't know where it ends and where it's just, and just, and, or dad, when, just when you're leaving, just and remember, and remember, and remember, or that kind of, just... So you, it's a very long Greek sentence. There are four or five in Ephesians in the New Testament, which is very difficult. But if you are a word study kind of person and you track it, you'll see what we call a chiasm or you'll see a kind of he's going that way and then he comes back to what he was talking about. Are you with me? That's the simplest way I can put it. Okay. But he is all over the place. That's true. And he goes and, and, for, for, because, because, and, and. So there's all points and sub points and everything. So don't get too worried about that. Then suddenly it becomes very simplified. First three chapters of Ephesians is theology. Second three chapters of Ephesians is practica practicality or practical Christian life. First, first is about God. Second three chapters are about us, who we are, what we are, what we are. So Ephesians is a rich, rich book. And if there's one book that you want to know by heart, like the back of your hand, it should be Ephesians. Six chapters. Come on, you can do it. If you, are, if you love yourself... If you truly love yourself, you'll come back next week having read through Ephesians in one sitting. Having read through Ephesians, just read through it. Just read through it. Don't try to understand it all in one shot. Just read through it. And then the, and the Lord is going to do some mighty work through you. Paul, an apostle of God. So who wrote this book? Very good. You are very good. You're very good. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, the word apostle means sent one, to, to send, to be sent with authority. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. That's a signature opening line with identifying who this letter is from and who to, to whom it is. To God's holy people, the word holy is hagios, uh, that God has set apart people whom God has set apart for himself in Ephesus. Some other manuscripts don't have in Ephesus, but because we believe this is encyclical letter, hit Ephesus first. Uh, many stick with the fact that it could be first to Ephesus and then from there beyond. The faithful in Christ Jesus. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The word for faithful is the word pistos, which means faith. Faith. The ones who have placed their faith in Christ. It is not saying people who remain faithful. He's not saying the nice ones, the church going ones. He's not saying the ones who are consistent. He's saying anyone who has placed their faith in Christ Jesus. So what does that tell you about the book of Ephesians? The target audience is believers. 
The target audience is believers. So he expects also believers to understand it. So when unbelievers turn to this passage or turn to Ephesians and they don't get it, then it's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's not, you know, the world is not lost. But when believers don't get it, then you're worried. Believers must get this. Believers must understand this. He was talking to believers. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Yes, it is only an introduction. Yes, it is a typical introduction. But it is greater than all the other normal introductions to letters and what we call uh, apostolic fathers. Apostolic fathers were actually writings. They were not actual people. They were writings by the earlier spiritual leaders and even regular uh, ideologists and philosophers those guys would also start with a similar thing but they would say they wouldn't say grace to you they would say greetings the word is very similar but they've but paul changes it from hey hi how you doing from greetings to grace to you because it is a believer's introduction it is a believer's introduction. Unbelievers who do not know the grace of God cannot cover you with the grace of God as they come to you and say, grace to you, grace to you. The word grace to you is to come and say, I'm extending this umbrella of grace over you. And we are going to understand that today. What does it mean to share your umbrella? What does it mean to when you come and meet a person, when you get into a fellowship with somebody, when you get into a relationship, to extend the umbrella to them and say, I live under this umbrella of grace. Come. Grace to you means come under this covering, this grace covering, this umbrella. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Circle our. Our Father. When did it become our Father? Because we are in Christ and Christ is God's Son. We are in Christ and Christ is God's son. So by virtue of our position in Christ, God has become our father. One Muslim uh, woman who uh, came to faith in Christ has written an amazing book called I Dared to Call Him Father. I Dared to Call Him. Especially women should read that book, but everyone should read that book. It's an amazing testimony of how she struggled with the idea of calling God father. How can you call a holy God, a separated God, a distant God, God of all the universe, my father, our father. But the key word here is not my father, but our father. Even Jesus taught, he said, say, our father, our father. That's very interesting because even in my home, my brothers and sisters, my sisters and my brother and me together, we did not ever call dad our dad. I say dad or my dad. I always say my dad, even though I have siblings have you noticed that <laughs> but when you are referring to the family you say our father so our relationship to god is not individual it is corporate he was he is our father because he is because our position is in christ all of these things are little tiny things but they are true they're true you know how people pray we pray in the name of the father we pray in the name of the son we pray in the name of the holy spirit also that's wrong those small, small differences, those changes are important. You do not pray in the name of the Holy Spirit. You do not pray in the name of the Father because the Father has said pray in the name of the Son. So you come to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of... That was a free freebie. That was, that, was, that was just on the side. Put it, write it far on the side and then move on. All right. Verse 3. Verse 3. So grace and peace to you from, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So God is Father, Christ is Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word for praise over there is a word that uh, is called uh, holo, ho, you, uh, uh, eulog, uh, eulogia, or the form, of, from where we get the word eulogy. You have to say to speak nicely. Let us speak nicely. Let us give uh, thanks. Let us give praise. Let us speak highly of the one who has blessed us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms. Note the tense over there. Has blessed us. That is a past event that has present benefits. I repeat, a past event that has ongoing present benefits. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms. The word for blessed is not just luck or charm because he was speaking countercultural to Zeus, to Zeus or Zeus, how you want to pronounce the local god there, that, that, that was a lucky charm. Today, we have many hundreds of them, so you have lucky charms. You either hang it on the net, whatever. It will bring you good luck. These gods, small g, goddesses, they bring you good luck. They give you, bring, bring you good fortune. He's, not, he's making a marked difference. He's not saying through the Lord and uh, Father and Jesus Christ who brings you good luck or brings you fortune. He's saying this God has blessed you. He has, he has given you certain advantages and benefits. It carries the meaning of applying benefits to somebody so that these benefits are given as a right to the people who are in Christ. So it's not a lucky charm that you go that I'm, I'm the son of Jesus, I'm the child of Jesus and all. wherever I go I have the watchful eye. It's a very mystical sort of a fortune, uh, good fortune, luck sort of a thing which the local people used to work with. He's detouring from that and saying God has blessed you in Jesus. You have certain blessings, benefits, advantages that are to your name and will not be revoked because God's will and pleasure is that you should have them. Are you with me so far? Are you with me so far? You're not lucky. You are blessed. By right and position, you are blessed. God has blessed us in heavenly realms. So these are spiritual blessings and they are in the heavenly realms. Because the, the understanding, the mentality now is that you are a believer in Christ. So now you're living in the spirit. You're living in the eternal... Okay, remember when I first... Talked about when we started the church, I talk, talked about you have been given eternal life now on Easter morning. You've given eternal life now. So right now you're living your eternal life. You're living in the spirit. You're living in the realm of eternity. Your body is with you. One day it will drop to the ground and then you'll be given a new body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But that is separate. That's another story. That's a separate story. It's like spare, changing a spare tire. Okay, you got a new one along the way. But your life is already on the trajectory of eternal significance. And he says, he has given you blessings in the spiritual realm, in your spiritual life, to activate in the spirit. To be activated in the spirit. So we got to figure out how that works. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, and you'll find in Christ. So I'm not going to repeat myself. But everything you see in the next few verses is in Christ in Christ, in Him, in the One. Got it? Please note that so that you, num you, you, you notice the emphasis that everything I have is in Christ. Look at me. So, if all the benefits I have in this church is by being on this stage, okay, I have certain benefits. 
in this church by being on this stage. Okay? The benefits are granted, advantages are granted to anybody who's on this stage. Okay? Now, what is my priority? What is my responsibility? What should I do to keep those benefits, to live in those benefits, to activate and to enjoy those benefits? Stay on stage. Stay on stage. So if everything is in Christ, everything has been rooted and, and booted in Christ, as he's been packed with the wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God, and you are in him, your job is to just stay in him. Stay in him. Stay in him. It's not a, it's not a file system where, okay, for every given situation in your life, go through the file, take it out. Okay, what does God want me to No, just stay in him. Just stay in him. Just live in him. It's, it's, not, it's a very dynamic, relational sort of a, uh, a life. It is not a, it is not a l- l- bunch of lessons. It's not a, it's not a, tr- uh, you know, a racetrack. It's not a climb to the mountaintop. It is just a walk along with God. He wants you to walk with him and leave the rest to him. Focus on the intimacy. Focus on the intimacy that is the 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 proximity between you and Christ. Are you with me? Focus on the proximity between you and Christ and he'll take care of the direction and the momentum. He will take care of the direction and the... You can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. You cannot go far and you cannot go wrong. He will watch you. He will guide you. He will take you through. If he goes through trouble, though, though I went through trouble, I will be there for you. Though you walk through the fire, I will be with you. He will take you through it. Life is not going to be easy. We're not here to make life easy. We're here to get close to him during this life. So you take care of the proximity. Stay in Christ. What are these blessings that he has? What are these blessings that he has given to us? Now I want to go back and give you practical things as, as long as we're going through this, these few verses. When he says grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying I come to you with grace. I cover you with grace. When people walk through that door, when people walk into our lives, when people walk into our community, we invite them by the grace of God. We invite them by the grace of God. You often use the word now as a lucky charm. You say, oh, I was able to make it by the grace of God. Yes, it's true. You're absolutely right. You're abs- don't change saying that. It's absolutely true. Take that meaning to another level where I say, now I give this grace to you. I apply this grace to you. So the reason I brought you back to this is because as you look at the few points now, we're going to see when you apply this grace to a person, what does it look like? What does it mean to extend the umbrella to somebody else? Okay, we'll go back to verse 4. For he chose us in him. Every spiritual blessings in Christ. Number four, for he chose us in him. So that word for is, it doesn't have carry the meaning of in as much or just as or because of. It has, it has a meaning of, more the meaning of uh, now that he, he has done this by doing this. He has blessed us in the, uh, in the heavenly realms. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing by doing this okay so the word for has six meanings in the greek this is the meaning over there so we want to understand that he is not taking us to a new subject in as much or for as much but because now that he's done that this is what is changed in your life okay moving forward verse 4 for he chose us in him before the foundations of the world before the creation of the world when did god pick you When did he make this plan? When did he decide this? When did he seal this plan? 
before the creation of the world. Your name, your place of birth, your life, your looks, your lifestyle, your loves, your likes. Everything about your life was already scripted and known to God before he could speak the worlds into existence. You are the only one that the Bible says that about. He didn't say that about the animals. He didn't say that about the worlds. He didn't say that about kingdoms, about nationalities, about the continental drift. What he did say he knew and planned before the foundations of the earth is you and your life. Your life was more thought through by God than the continental drift or the climate change. Everything else is a consequence. Your life was a planned event. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. So now you're talking about destination, you're talking about choice. God chose some, which also means he didn't choose others. Is that what it means? No, he made a decision that those who are in Christ would have certain benefits. I repeat, he said that those who are in Christ would have certain benefits. If you don't have any benefits in Christ, then what is the point of being in Christ? There has to be some point. You're giving up dreams, you're giving up ambitions, you're sacrificing life, you are living countercultural to the world. What is the point of living like that and making those choices if you don't have some very serious thing. He's giving you those benefits over here. For he chose us in him before the foundation to be holy and blameless in his sight. He decided long before the foundations of the earth that whoever comes to Christ, I will wash them so squeaky clean with my blood that when they stand before me, there will be not a trace of sin. Before the foundations of the earth, God decided that he will never point a finger at you. Do you understand this? Do you understand this? Before the foundations of the earth, God decided in his, well, in his, in his good pleasure that he will never point a finger at you. If you are in Christ, he's going to wash you squeaky clean so you stand before him for a relationship and not for judgment. This was his decision long before the foundations of the earth. Before you could have intellect and argue with God, before you could have hardness of heart and walk away from God. Before you could have coldness of spirit and stay far from God. God decided, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. The benefit of a believer is that he lives free. She lives free from condemnation. Zero condemnation. A lot of theologians and pastors cringe at preaching this with great confidence. I'll tell you why. If you tell them that they are no condemnation and they are completely free and if you tell them that, you know, God will never judge them and if you tell them that they are completely holy innocent, then it won't motivate them to stay away from sin. It won't motivate them to please God and live a holy life. Well, the answer is neither does judgment. All the condemnation and the judgment in the world has never motivated anybody to live a holy life. Thanks and praise 
blessing and honor motivates you to. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O Lord. Oh God, knowing that you love us, no matter what we do, makes us want to love you too. Makes us want to love you too. Something about the discipline of the, the Lord. When God finds sin in your life, he will discipline you and it will hurt. And as, as soon, just as soon as his hand disciplines you, as a father, just as soon as he, he will also, the same hand will come to press that place where it hurt and pick you up and embrace you. He will slap you on the backside and he will hug you just as tight. People slap you on the backside. They will judge you. They will condemn you. And they will send you out into the lone desert to cry on your own. But God the Father will discipline you, not punish you. Jesus has taken all the punishment. He will discipline you because he loves you. And just as soon as he disciplines you, you will be sitting in his arms with his, sitting in his, on his leg with his arms wrapped tightly around you. That is the way I have experienced God's loving discipline, loving care. For he chose us in him to be holy and blameless. Here's the key thing. In his sight, nobody cares what others think. Nobody cares. He doesn't care what others think. You are going to be holy and blameless in my sight. Yeah, but you don't know what all I know about him. What all I, know. I don't care what you know about him. I'm going to look at him through Jesus. So that's the benefit. That's the advantage of being in Christ. So when you stay in a relationship with Christ, when you stay uh, intimate with Christ, you also have the advantage, the free benefit of living a guilt-free, a condemnation-free life. You remember what, it, what it's like to live a life feeling condemned, dirty, constantly like you're carrying a burden of guilt. Like you need to say sorry for something, but you don't know what it is. Some of us can't even remember those days. It's been so long. You are free. You are free from that. There is no condemnation. Okay. For he chose us in him to be, uh, before the founder, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, in love, he predestined us for the adoption of sonship through Christ in accordance with his pleasure and goodwill. Like, you to, like I told you, the sentence is complicated, but the point is simple. The second advantage is that you will become sons. You will become sons. You are not the son who went, you're, you are the son who went away and you are brought back and you were given the ring and you were given the cloak. The ring was a sign of authority. And when you turn 21, your father's business is given over to you. You are a son in the house. You are not a slave in the house. And the prodigal son came running back to the father and said, Father, I do not deserve to be a son in your house. Uh, just let me be here as your slaves. Because your slaves are better off than I was back there. And he says, no way. No, no. You carry my genes. You carry my name. You are my child. You will be a son. You will be a son. But that's the case with the prodigal son who ran away. We were never his children. We were, we, the Bible says you were afar off. You were not a people, but God has made you a people. He has made you his children. He has adopted you. Adoption is a Christian thing. It's a Christian biblical concept. When I say Christian, I mean biblical, not a cultural Christian. Biblical Adoption is a biblical concept. To take somebody outside of the company, outside of the family, and to bring him completely into so that he carries all the rights he carries all the, the, the authority of a sibling in the family. It's not fair. He was
was not born into this family. He was not from that caste or from that creed. He was not from that lineage. It's not fair for somebody to come from outside and then come into the family and stand along with the sibling and have equal authority, equal heir to the... It's not fair. That is grace. That is grace. Grace is not fair. Umbrella number one. Umbrella number one. You start your relationship with people as if they are, they've never done anything wrong. To extend the umbrella of grace is say, yes, you may have sinned, but in God's eyes, you are holy. I will treat you as if you have never done anything wrong. Suppose everybody started treating each other like they've never done anything wrong, even though they did wrong. And I knew that he did wrong, but sooner you teach you like you never did anything wrong. Sooner or later, everybody will make sure that they don't do anything That's a community of grace. Umbrella number two. Umbrella number two. You are son in the house. You are son in the house. So as you walk into the community, they have every right to every promise in the scriptures. They have every right to every promise in the scriptures. And number three. He predestined us for adoption to sons through the thing in his grace. Verse six. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely gave us, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Again, emphasis in the one, emphasis in him. Number seven, verse seven, we have redemption through his blood. I'll come back to this next week. But in redemption, we have, uh, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Twice he says, in accordance to the riches, in accordance to the riches. Because he, God wants you to act at his standards, not your standards. So his standards is the grace of God at lavish levels. At lavish levels. The third umbrella that you pass on to people is the readiness to forgive. In him, in him, you have been redeemed by the blood, bought back by the blood of Christ, and you have been forgiven. You have forgiveness of sins. So when people walk into your life, to extend grace to you, to extend the umbrella of grace, is to say, you are going to sin in this relationship with me. You are going to hurt me. You are going to let me down. You are going to stab me in the back because you are frail, you are weak, you are made of dust. But God has loved you, God has placed you in Christ and in Christ you have forgiveness. If you have already, you have the benefit, the advantage of a blanket of forgiveness over you. Who am I? Who am I? To take you back and remind you of your sin. To treat you like you are an ex-sinner. To treat you like you are anything less than any other brother and sister in the body of Christ. Who am I? You are in the company of the accuser of the brethren, Satan himself. Satan is the one who points the fingers at believers, reminding them of the past, while Jesus turns their chin around and reminds them of their future. That is the grace of God. God blesses believers because of the father's electing, the son's dying, and the spirit's sealing. We'll pick this up next week. God has chosen us based on this spiritual blessing. This spiritual blessing is based on God's choosing. To be holy and blameless in His sight. To be predestined to sonship and to be redeemed and forgiven. That's what we give to others when we... Uh... So grace over or grace cover means, number one, relating to people through the Trinity. God the Father, Christ our Redeemer, Spirit our Binder. Relating to people through the Trinity. Number two, I'll send this to you on WhatsApp. Number two, respecting others as the sons of God. 
Number one, relating to people through the Trinity. Number two, respecting others as the sons of God by God's own will and pleasure. Number three, releasing people from their sinful actions towards others and us. Not holding them to their failures, but to Christ's work who has made them holy. And number four, and we'll pick this up later, remembering God's ultimate plan. That it's not about you, it's not about me, but it's about exalting Christ who deserves all the glory. Who deserves all the glory. So we'll look into the next few verses next week.